If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Hacker skills, programming skills, technical skills of any kind, that sort of maker is a very helpful volunteer and often, you know, they have 3D printers sitting around. It's just like, oh, just print a couple things and change someone's life. Makers Making Change is expanding. This Canada-based maker platform is a division of Canadian national nonprofit Neil Squire Society. And Neil Squire Society's stated mission is to use technology, knowledge, and passion to empower Canadians with disabilities. However, their reach extends far beyond Canada. In late 2019, Makers Making Change launched their brand new chapters program. This program links a network of makers in the U.S. and Canada, and they continue to grow and recruit volunteers both for chapter leaders and as community champions. Zee Kessler is community coordinator at Makers Making Change. Zee, since the last time we spoke, a lot of exciting things have been happening for Makers Making Change, and you, like everybody else, have had to deal with the unexpected. What have been some of the developments for Makers Making Change since, let's say, about March of this year? Well, of course, because of COVID, that's very much changed some aspects of our project. Right now, we're looking into doing online builds, which um, so far we've hosted a couple of them. They've been a pretty big success. We're still figuring out the details of how this will work with all of our new chapters, but it seems that people, especially conferences, are still running and they want to have a fun, engaging aspect of their conference that, you know, isn't just a talking head. (laughs) So we've had interest there and also just different partners we have want to, you know, sort of help be the trial group (laughs) to help us figure out all the details of this. So there's that. And then also we've been further developing our chapter model. So we've transitioned all of our onboarding materials online to a learning platform, which will help our staff save some time. We've created some automations, but also all the information is there for anyone to see. And it's really a great platform. I absolutely love it. It's been great learning it. Those online builds sound incredible. What's involved in doing something like that? I know on-site have been hugely successful, but when you're doing something like, for example, a toy hack, how do you do that virtually? Well, one of our chapter leaders was one of the people piloting the first toy hack that was virtual, and how he did it was he partnered with a local state-run AT provider, and basically they came up with the idea of creating these kits for local people, so anyone who wanted to participate that was a local disability professional could request a kit, and he pre-soldered some of the parts because he was sort of wondering if people had the right tools at home or the skills, and because you can't really see, you know, <laughs> someone soldering iron, like, you know, burning their cord or something like that, so you can't do the same safety precautions when you're doing it online, so in order to kind of save some of the potential risks, he pre-soldered a couple parts, and then he created a little manual using some of our stuff that we created, and he hosted online, and it seems like everybody, our virtual working group, looked at the video, and it seemed like it was pretty successful, so that was one model to do it, <laughs> so yeah. That is really cool. What do you have coming up in the way of virtual events where people can do hacks? 
Well, the one that we have coming up, I think it's for, I believe it's RBC, so it's kind of like an internal team thing. We're still figuring it out. So there's a few groups that have offered to sort of be our pilot people, but the chapters themselves are taking on doing these virtual events and sort of helping develop it. And so I know that one group in New York has hosted a dice spinner workshop, and that went pretty well, as well as a virtual toy hack workshop. And so I think they plan on doing one every month or two. I'm not sure what their next one is yet. They haven't actually announced what it is yet, but once they do, we'll put it on our website and people can find it. I know that there's a lot of groups that are kind of putting the interest out there to help sort of develop this new model of online builds. So still in the works. Everybody's being really creative at this point in time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Please tell me about the chapters. When we last spoke, I remember you were mostly in Canada. I mentioned I wish we had one of these out here. There were chapters in, I think, Washington, but you've really expanded since then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have about 20-ish chapters, and we're looking to expand to add 20 more in Canada. We did have three more applications from the U.S to in New York, where we already have a chapter in Brooklyn, so maybe we'll connect them with each other and they can all partner, and then one in Colorado Springs. So those are in the States, and then we have a few in Canada as well. But we also have funding primarily in Canada, so we're really looking to expand that to hit our goals of our grants. (laughs) Sigh, nothing in California yet. I was kind of hoping you might say you had a California group opening. Not yet. I really would love to see that happen, because we do have quite a few groups that we've worked with. I think it's sort of like in the San Diego area. I can't recall, but there's a couple of rehab hospitals that we've posted builds with and a library. It's called the, I think it's the Burlingame Library. So there's a few groups that we've worked with. So we're hoping that someone will step up and want to host a group. But I think the thing is a lot of people are kind of hesitant because they don't really know what's happening in the future. So we're trying to work with that. And um, instead of doing a cohort model, to onboard our new chapter leaders. We're actually just kind of let people kind of trickle in as they apply. So if we think, you know, they're a good chapter leader, we'll interview them. If they seem like they know what they're doing and they have a good group of people they can rely on locally, we'll just let them join sort of as they come along. So if anyone wants to join, we did just pass the deadline, but that's okay because we're going to leave it open right now as things are kind of unusual. So our deadline was July 15th, and now we're just extending it indefinitely. (laughs) That sounds good, actually. Let's look at what somebody, let's say someone's on the fence. Well, I'd really like to be involved with this, but I'm working from home and I'm homeschooling my kids. What might be their opportunities to get involved with Makers Making Change, maybe your chapter leader program or community champion? So if you're homeschooling your child, well, there's a few different options. We do have some educational curriculum online. Print Lab is a partner of ours and they've developed a 3D printing course online that's free if you sign up for Print Lab. They sell products as well and like packages for schools to learn how to do 3D printing and training, but you can also get some of their tutorials for free. And so they've created an assistive technology focused tutorial, which is awesome. They've done it in I think a couple different programs like Tinkercad, but also Fusion 360. And I know we're going to be working with them on some sort of contest, so that might be an option for homeschoolers. Also, one of the things that we're going to chat about this week that's sort of in the works is perhaps some sort of makey-makey contest for using makey-makey to create physical therapy exercises. 
for kids with disabilities. One of our chapter or two of our chapter leaders in Michigan are developing this sort of thing to make their physical therapy exercises more interactive and fun and using technology and we're interested to see what other disability professionals or students might be interested in developing different ways to use the Makey Makey for this purpose. That's a really cool idea. I love that one. Oh, we also have one more thing. Sorry, I should add one more thing. We also have a teacher that started a chapter up in Fort St. John, B.C., and he engaged some of his administrators in the local area to help create a grade 12 curriculum. Now, that's for B.C., but it can be adapted for any school to any age group if you know the teacher has the willingness and the interest. And we have an area on our forum where if you just type it in, basically BC curriculum, it'll come up and you can look it over if you want to redo it and then post what your modifications are. You totally can do that. And we encourage that because then more people can bring it to their classroom or, you know, use it in their after school program, homeschooling, what you know, so the more we share, the more people can get access to these types of skills so more people can be helped. So we really encourage that. We use open source for everything. In our neighborhood, I see a lot of people saying, are we going to have any kind of a cohort for homeschooling parents? It strikes me that any of these would be great for homeschooling parents who are doing something like this. No, totally. And I know some of our funding, at least in Canada, is going to be focused towards building the sort of educational aspects of the program with youth. So we'll see how that'll play out in the next little while. And often we develop things for, you know, it might be for Canada, but because we're open source, anyone can use it anywhere. So in the end, it probably won't be 100% Canada specific, maybe with the, the participants, but then once we develop it, anyone can use the format or the instructions that we make. How does anybody, homeschooling parent, a teacher, anyone, find out more and maybe get involved? So if you go on the Makers Making Change website, so that's makersmakingchange.com, and then there's a section called Volunteer. And if you click on Start a Chapter, there is information there, but there's also information on different types of roles, like become a maker or different ways that you can get involved. There's also ways that you can just volunteer, like just to help out in general, like maybe you're not a maker, maybe you don't need a device but you can still volunteer. And in our forum, we have a forum attached to our website. And there's also volunteer opportunities there for like, you know, random little tasks that sometimes we might need help with, but we don't have enough people on staff. You know, it might be like editing videos or adding closed captioning or, you know, different things. <laughs> so anything like that is, that's where we would post it is in the volunteer section of our website. What do you think you'll need most in terms of volunteers as you move forward with changing and innovating your program? Well, I guess there's a couple different types of volunteers we could use most. And there's the makers who, you know, if they want to volunteer their skills and time to build an assistive technology for someone, we have all the models online for a lot of different devices. And so when people put a request in, it's visible on the forum and you can reply. And some things can be done long distance because maybe there's already a pre-made model. But then we also have different projects that can be developed from scratch. And, you know, sometimes... It just needs some programming or something like that. Sometimes we have projects that are kind of further down the line and they just need some more refinement. So any kind of maker with, you know, hacker skills, programming skills, technical skills of any kind, 3D modeling, laser cutting, that sort of maker is a very helpful volunteer. And often, you know, they have 3D printers sitting around. It's just like, oh, just print a couple things and change someone's life. 
So that's one type of volunteer. And then another type of volunteer we could really use are disability professionals. Disability professionals, I think that they really get a win-win out of this because they have the opportunity to learn maker skills themselves, but also they can help give access to these devices to their clients, but also like, you know, their workplace might need some samples to show off to different clients or, you know, one of the ways we love for them to get involved is maybe request something, but then give us a review of what you think. Because we make these designs, our team of engineers works on them very hard, and we also have collaborators. Sometimes we sort of combine different ideas we've seen in different designs, and then we'd love to hear from them, you know, what would you change about this? What would you improve? Like right now we have a disability professional would be a great person for this project. It's basically different types of mounts made out of PVC, and so we'd love to hear from disability professionals, like, different ways you could use this PVC to create different mounts for different devices. But, of course, they know all the devices they have access to and their clients have the best. So disability professionals can, you know, volunteer to be reviewers, let's say, <laughs> of our devices and give feedback. And it's really, really valuable, and it helps innovate the industry to be more affordable for people with disabilities that might not have access to insurance. Currently, Makers Making Change is looking for a chapter leader in the Boston area, and after our pre-recorded interview, Z emailed, they already have all the connections, the partners and members they need for the new chapter. They just need a great chapter leader at the helm, and they are good to go. If that sounds a lot like you and you'd like to know more about this opportunity, find out more at makersmakingchange.com. Take a look at their volunteer tab. Z offered a look at the time commitment and what Makers Making Change is looking for for their new chapter leaders. If anyone is interested to start a chapter of Makers Making Change, what it requires is basically someone that just has a passion for making or a passion for helping people with disabilities. Ideally, they would be a disability professional, but if they're a maker, they can also partner with a disability professional because there's two sides of the project. There's the making and then the giving the devices to people. So you want to have someone that is a bridge between those two worlds, like how do you get the devices to people? So basically the time commitment is anywhere from, I would say, maybe five hours a month to 10 or 12 hours a month. It just depends on if it's a month with lots of events or not. I would say in general, it's probably on the lower end. Once a month, we get together all the chapter leaders and we have a meeting and just talk about what each other are working on, see if we can help each other in any way. And we also announce things from our internal side, like what are we working on? What are the contests coming up? What are the events coming up? And sometimes other chapter leaders will want to join in and people like to show off their projects they're working on. Sometimes someone's like, oh, hey, I'll take a run at that. Oh, well, I could think of another way to do that. So we all come together once a month. That's an hour meeting. And, you know, it all depends on how many requests are happening. Once you start growing your chapter, you can start tagging other members of your chapter in the forum so that you know, all the work isn't on the chapter leader. So I think the bigger the chapter becomes, the less reliant the chapter leader becomes on being the number one person everyone goes to. Everyone starts to understand how our online systems work. And so, so far we've hosted probably like 30 events at least. It's been pretty awesome. We've delivered probably over 100 devices or more, I think probably more like 300 since we started this last August. So just through the chapter program, never mind our head office and all of our staff in Canada. So, so far it's been really successful. And yeah, so if you're the type of person who likes to help, you like to make things, maybe you're somehow connected in this field, you have access to a group of people that 
would like to help make things, either at their homes or through a makerspace or a library, feel free to apply online. We'll interview you. And if you get into the program, basically, we'll bring everyone together for our first meeting, and then we'll give you access to our online learning platform where you can learn all the different facets of our program from, you know, how did we come to be, what are the devices, to how to run events. And so you would go to makersmakingchange.com, and then you would click on volunteer and start a chapter. And then you'll see there, there's two options. There's community champion, which is a more casual volunteer that, you know, someone that maybe isn't dedicated to the whole running events, but wants to just help us spread the word. We'll send you some business cards. And then the chapter leader is more of a dedicated role. And yeah, there's information about the job description there as well as an application. And what about participating virtually? There are a lot of people right now who would probably like to help out, but for example, the libraries where I live haven't been open for quite a while. So is there a way that people can support you virtually as well? Yeah, so we do have some chapter leaders. For example, we, when we ran the Dice Spinner event, we recognized some people might not have access to a 3D printer. So our chapter leader basically listed all the, we listed all the parts on Eventbrite so people could buy some of the parts themselves. But then if they needed 3D prints, the chapter leader could send them or meet up with them and give them the print. So, you know, we're doing things in a lot of different ways, like depending on the situation. So we try to work with, you know, whatever people have or don't have. If you have a 3D printer, it's not that hard to print a few extra to help someone out if they don't have access to one. So we have disability professionals. Sometimes they have a 3D printer at their workplace. Maybe it's not open. So we just try to make it work. We can also print them with our staff and send them out to people. So, yeah, there's lots of people that come to our events online. Maybe they help you know, set up the event link, or maybe they help, you know, edit some videos. So there's a lot of different sort of volunteer roles you could do that don't involve 3D printing. And there's a lot of different skills that, you know, you can do without a 3D printer, like programming or stuff like that. So I recommend people check out the website, see the devices we have available, go to the forum and see what devices are in development, what needs some tweaking, what might need some help or review, as well as check out the new request that, say, Maker Wanted, and maybe they have the skills to help. Each project's different, and each project has different skills involved. What's a story of one of the best adaptive technologies you've seen since you and I have spoken that our listeners might like to get involved with? I really like the idea of the new Xbox adaptive controller, and it really pairs well with a bunch of different devices we have online. So it's, it's a controller that isn't a traditional controller like you'd use with an Xbox. It's sort of like a big rectangle. It has two giant buttons on it and a bunch of ports on the sides and all around, and each port correlates with a button on a conventional controller. And then depending on the ability of the person, maybe they can use some of the functions on a regular controller, but maybe some of them with their right hand is difficult. So you can map those buttons to different switches that you could place in different places, like on your foot or your knee or your you know, different fingers or on your headrest if you're on, you know, like there's a bunch of different ways you can use it. And so I really love that adaptive controller. I just think it's one of the coolest things I've heard of in a while. And also I feel like people that might not have any knowledge about, you know, disability issues, they see the adaptive control and they see like how you can play games differently. And I think it kind of clues them into like, oh, this is how this works. This is how, you know, and sometimes people see, I know that lots of gamers, like they hack their controllers anyway to try to have faster reaction time. So I think it's very an inherent part of gaming to like understand 
how to hack and change and, you know, make things more efficient. So I think it's a really cool technology. I love a lot of the creativity involved in this. I love that. And I also loved seeing the robotics team that adapted wheelchairs to be costumes. Are you going to be doing any of that remotely this time? That's not really our area, but we really enjoy those projects. We do keep in contact with those groups, and a lot of our chapters also do projects like that. We don't typically do like projects that have to do with mobility, but we sort of let that be their domain. <laughs> and... Yeah, there's a bunch of different really neat projects out there, like Go Baby Go and Magic Wheelchair. And our chapter in Florida, they are literally involved in, like, every cool AT thing. They're a robotics team based out of the University of Florida. They're high school kids that do this university program, and they have amazing mentors. And I think it's just a really great experience for the kids because it has this sort of, like, cosplay, cartoony aspect to it. But also, you're using these skills you use on a robotics team to create something for a kid like it's just it's really neat it's like almost like props for film or something like that (laughs) you're learning a lot of really cool skills like fiberglass and all sorts of stuff like that so I love the imagination involved what's been I know I'm speaking to an artist and a teacher and a maker when I talk to you what's been one of your best creative challenges within the past oh let's say three or four months or so as you've had to adapt your programs for the pandemic and keep going oh Hmm, that's a good question. I would say adapting our chapter materials for when we onboard a chapter to this online learning platform, because basically what we're trying to do is we have all the staff across Canada. We call them regional coordinators. And right now I'm sort of training them to be me. (laughs) And then I'm creating a training for them to learn, you know, how I've onboarded people in my first run of learning how to do this. And then I had to not only create a training for them, but I also had to create a training for the people they're training. (laughs) So it's like how to make sure they have all the information they need to know, try to imagine what they're thinking, what they're wondering, and how to put the information in a way that is understandable, not too wordy, and, you know, it's easy to go through and understand. You know, when should I create a video? When should it be text? You know, (laughs) like what kind of questions are the most, you know, frequently asked? You know, so that and creating like automation. So like how can we assist the program and assist all of our staff with all the stuff that takes up the most time but without it being impersonal? Clearly we want the coordinators to be, you know, close enough with the chapter leaders that they have a personal relationship and they know they can rely on each other, but also, you know, how to take the sort of busy workout so that they can really focus on the stuff that's really important. And so that's been a challenge of like, okay, when does this happen? When does this not happen? (laughs) It's this, uh, you know, what's the trigger? What form do we need to create that trigger? It's, It's a lot of work and it's very deep thought, but I guess being at home, uh, not having a lot of distractions <laughs> with other staff members or anything. It's it's probably been good timing that this has happened. And I, you know, this was the project I could throw myself into because I don't know if it would be that easy with the traveling and everything else I normally do to, to really sit and think about this critically. So I'm sort of weirdly grateful that I have this little break to just spend more time thinking hard about these problems and solutions and you know, the future of the project. What's weird is how many creative people say that. 
so many people have said that a side effect of this is they're more focused, they are more getting more done and being more productive. It's kind of odd to see that and kind of interesting to see everybody grow. Yeah, I think it all depends on, you know, are you homeschooling your kids at home and trying to work? <laughs> you know, like, depends on your life situation. But, you know, I just live with one roommate, and I've been doing lots of little home projects, like building furniture and really cooking and eating well, you know. And I think in some ways, like, I also have a disability, and I just realized that traveling to and from the office can sometimes be really taxing. So not having to do that every day is really given me a little bit more energy than I normally have, which is kind of eye-opening to me. I didn't really realize how, like, you know, I, I drive my scooter, then I take the SkyTrain, and somehow I didn't think that took that much out of me, but now I'm seeing it did. So I think, you know, when I don't know when and if things will go completely back to normal, but it's good to have sort of seen, oh, this is maybe a little bit, you know, better pace of life for me at least, but I'm sure other people have different experiences with that. Like maybe it's like, oh, I'll get them back to school. I need my alone time, <laughs> you know? It really does depend. I loved looking at your website and seeing some of the adaptive touch or remote touch technology you're doing that's going to be helpful in not spreading the virus. Could you tell me a little bit about this? I can think of a few that might be applicable to that. We don't get funding specifically right now for COVID-related stuff, but some of our projects kind of lend themselves to, you know, touch-free, you know. So we do have a switch called the proximity switch that's recently been released. You don't even need to touch it. You can just run your hand over top of it, and it senses the light difference. And so we do have a section on our forum where if we see cool projects that are, you know, COVID projects, we put them on there, but they're not, you know, required for us to do. We often will just share other projects we've seen people do. Like one of our chapters, for example, they started prototyping Tyvek gowns for the hospital workers. And so we put that on our forum because we thought that's really cool, you know, and other groups, you know, now we really see a lot of makers out there that were creating PPE and stuff like that. So you know, other groups have contacted us, like other chapters, and said, do any of the chapters, are they developing anything around this? And I'll connect them with each other. So sometimes it's just like sharing other people's resources, which, you know, we can do a lot of that in our forum. And all of our stuff's open source, so we do kind of mix and match and remix and stuff like that. But in terms of our projects, we're really working on switches and the lip sync. And one of the important things and mounting. And one of the important things, I guess, in the era of COVID is just making sure that you clean your projects often. You can't use like rubbing alcohol on your 3D prints because it will kind of degrade them. So we actually have some instructions on our website. If you look at our news, then we have a blog about it and it, it talks about safe ways to clean your lip sync and safe ways to clean your 3D prints. And I think that's really important regardless of whatever project it is, if it's made for COVID or not, I think if anything's 3D printed, you got to be careful how you clean it because the rubbing alcohol can degrade and, you know, make it easier for bacteria to sit inside the rings of the print. 
Wow. And I would not have known that. I would have, if I'd been a maker, I would have probably just gotten my alcohol out if you wouldn't have said that and got the thing clean to send it off. That's an important point to keep in mind. We hadn't said a word about the lip sync, kind of your flagship technology. For anybody that did not hear our previous interview, how would you describe what a lip sync is? Oh, yes. So the lip sync is the project that got us started on this project. So basically, Neil Squire Society, which is our, you know, the organization that Makers Making Changes based out of, Makers Making Changes based out of the R&D department of Neil Squire. So years ago, the R&D department developed a device called the Jouse, which is a mouth control mouse, and it allowed you to use sip and puff technology to access a computer. And with the invention of like smartphones and tablets and things like that, they realized like we really need something like this to work with mobile devices and touchscreen devices. So we submitted, well, I shouldn't say we, Chad, <laughs> our lovely director of innovation, submitted a grant to the Google Foundation. And we won a grant for probably almost a million dollars, a lot of money. And we were able to develop open source version of this device, which we call the LipSync. And the cool thing about this device is that we can print most of the project on a 3D printer. And then there's some simple electronics involved. So we've hosted build events all over North America to build these because, of course, Google is based in the U.S., so we couldn't only build in Canada. So we had a whole bunch of different Google events, and we built so many lip syncs. We were able to give them away to people free of charge. And this device is amazing. It's basically a mouse you use with your mouth and then you sip and puff on it and it does the right and left click functions and then you can also do different functions like drag and drop and drag and scroll and that sort of thing using these I would call them like cheat codes like basically like kind of like Morse code in the sense it's like short puff long puff or like short sip long puff like <laughs> different combinations do different functions it's really neat and the parts that were chosen to be used are actually chosen on purpose to make it easy for someone that's an amateur to build it. And we have all the instructions online. So even if someone has one and, you know, maybe something happens and it stops working in a maker in the area, we can pair them with them and say, hey, can you help them? All the instructions are online to, to fix it, to build it. All the parts are listed so you know exactly what's in there and it's completely open source. This is so cool. I was also looking at some of the devices, and they had a virtual gaming event where there actually was the lip sync that some people were using and gaming, and the looks on their faces were just pure joy. It was wonderful to see. As we wrap up here, if people could only get one thing from what you've learned during this pandemic about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you consider an important lesson in those areas? I think what we've learned during this pandemic is there's a huge amount of people out there that love to use their skills to help people, love to solve problems. I think we already knew this, but to see how many people have reached out and maybe they don't know how to use a 3D printer, but they know how to sew, like people have really come together and it, you know, we've always had this chapter program, people have reached out to us, but I feel like the pool of people is much larger than we could ever imagine and I think a lot of schools, or students have been taking it on, you know, like in their spare time outside of schools, like renting a warehouse. One of our chapter leaders was in high school and he's done this. And it just blows my mind how dedicated people are to helping. And 
you know, how creative they are with how they're going to do it. And I think the fact that we have all this technology online and these forums and these Reddit and all these things that you can go to to interact with people, you know, for better or worse, you can connect with a lot of people. So things can innovate very, very quickly. And one of the things I read was this is the first time that we've had, like, you know, a big global health crisis that there's actually groups that have come together and created online systems to help every country report what they've learned, and then they can innovate super quick and learn a lot from everywhere. And before that was kind of like a little bit more siloed, like people shared, but it wasn't as quickly. And so that, it's amazing because sometimes technology can seem like a bit of a burden at times, like, you know, too much social media or whatever, but this was really the positive side of what this is capable of, like in a state like this where we really do need all the minds to come together to try to solve a problem that affects the whole world. Z, thank you for your time today. Thank you. You and I have been listening to Z Kessler, Community Coordinator at Makers Making Change. If you'd like to get involved by starting a chapter or serving as a community champion volunteer, go to makersmakingchange.com for more information and click on the volunteer tab. And once again, Makers Making Change is just about set to start their brand new chapter in the Boston area. All they need is a great chapter leader. Find out more at makersmakingchange.com by clicking on their volunteer tab. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks. M-A-V-E-R-I-X to mavericks.com and you can contact us to mavericks at gmail.com The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.